0: Alrighty, good morning Ridge Point Church, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, I need some audience participation this morning, now I will say this, first service they were here at 9 o'clock, but man they were into it, and we need that this morning. You see I grew up in, in, a, in a couple of different traditions of, of churches uh, throughout my young like elementary, middle school age years, and, and they were very diverse in their backgrounds, they were very, very different from each other, both of them very traditional models of church, uh, but their theology was very, very different, and And for the most part, I can't say this was true of everybody, but for most people, what I saw as a young person growing up in church was there was a lot of people that their philosophy of church is we're going to sit, soak, and sour for about an hour, and then we're going to get up and leave, and we're going to come back next week and do the same thing. Now, I will say this for them. They were consistent. They were there every week, but every week their goal was to sit, soak, and sour for about an hour and come back and do it again next week. Uh, What we try to do here at Rich Point Church is we do things a little bit different, This morning we're going to do things a lot of different. And I know some people are like, wait a minute, I kind of like the idea of kind of being under the radar and not being involved. This morning I really am going to ask you, if at all possible, for you to be involved, especially the first couple of minutes of the service, and there's going to be a point to it. We're not just doing it just for the sake of doing it, but there's going to be a point to it. I think it's okay for us to be involved, to to find a way to relate the message to what we're doing in life, Uh, but also for every one of us as just partakers of God's grace Uh, To come to church, not just to sit, soak, and sour for about an hour, but to say, how can I choose to be involved in it? Now, today's going to be an extreme version of that, because I'm asking everyone to do this for me. Uh, Even if you're one who you don't like to be around a lot of people and stuff, I'm going to ask you to do this. It's going to stretch you out of your comfort zone, and I apologize ahead of time. And you say, yeah, right, you're the one asking us to do that. I get that. Uh, But here's what I'm going to ask you to do, is in just a second, when I tell you to go, I want everyone to stand up, and you're going to make your way, and I want you to shake hands with 15 people in in a minute, and the thing is, I want you to act as if there's a very important person in the room, and the person you're shaking hands with is not that person. So as you're shaking hands with them, you're trying to find the important person, you got one minute, at least 15 hands in one minute, everybody ready, set, Go. Now, stay right where you're at. Stay right where you're at. Hold on one second. Stay right where you're at. We're going to do one more minute. But in this minute, I want you to greet the person that you're greeting as if you're best friends that haven't seen each other in 10 years. Go. Go. And once you're done greeting at least 10 people with a deep embrace, go ahead and find your way back to your seat, and thank you for participating. How many of y'all worked up a sweat doing that little bit of running around right there? Like, I saw big old group hugs going on and everything, And, and, and so here's the point of that little exercise is, for every one of us, there are times that, like, especially if you did the first one, it was kind of rushed, and it was kind of, you kind of flew through it, and then you went to the next person. And, and you kind of didn't feel like it was all that important, that special. Uh, now, I saw some of y'all cheating on the first one, giving each other hugs, like they were really important. Uh, but, but for the most part, if we just kind of shook hands, act like they didn't exist, uh, we know how that feels. It doesn't feel good. But the second one, the, the deep embrace, as if we're friends, we haven't seen each other for years, both in the way we felt in giving that embrace, but also the way we felt appreciated, probably even though we knew it was artificial, it probably was a little bit more fun and made us, unless you, like, really don't like to be around people, which might have freaked you out. But, but if not, you're like, man, even though I knew it was artificial, part of that felt pretty good to me. I kind of liked that. Now, here's what I want to know. Especially if you're a regular attender of Bridgepoint Church, how many of you greeted someone today that you've never talked to before in all your life? Most of us. And here's the thing. We're not that large of a church, And yet, it's very easy, because the way that you and I often do relationships, not just in church, but out in the world, is it's not that there are people that are more important in our life, and so we buzz through relationships, because the people in front of us matter. But the truth is, is that life is really busy. Life is happening really, really fast. And so because of that, it's very easy, much like when we're going around shaking hands and not paying attention to the people in front of us, it's very easy to look past them and to think, okay, I know I'm coming to church. And I should form some relationships here, but, but I know I also man, I have, I have lunch coming and after lunch I have to make sure we have the kids ready for school this week or we have to make sure the food shopping's done for this week or, or I got to get ready for work or I got this and I got that. And it's very easy to get really busy in life so that even though we don't intend for it to be, the way we do relationships is the first one and, and not the second one. And that's why in a relatively, I mean, we have a lot of people here, but it's a relatively small group of people in terms of our community. Is very easy for us not to even recognize the other people that are here. And, and we said that we're not that large a church, but we could be. If we started to view the world through God's eyes, through the eyes of embracing people like we did the second time and not the first time. Now, I am not advocating that a visitor comes to Ridgepoint Church next Sunday morning <laughs> and we fall on run and embrace them and say, it's so good to see you. It's been so long. And they're looking at you saying, you're weird. And they look at their friends and say, see, I told you this was a cult. <laughs> like That's, that's the, their reaction. That's not what I'm advocating. But what I am advocating is to say what people are looking for is genuine relationship. They're looking for warmth and they're looking for this idea that they matter. And we're all looking for it. That's why even though Because I didn't know how that was going to work. I didn't know with a lot of people in the first service, probably had this as many, if not more people. And I didn't know in this setting, what was that going to look like? And yet in both services, that second time, like it was chaos, and everyone was having fun and laughing and climbing on chairs and and group hugging, because I think even though we knew it was somewhat artificial, we all long for those type of relationships. So we're in the midst of wrapping up this week a series that we are calling revolution. I'm not just having a New Year's resolution, resolutions come and go, and there's a point to those, and they get us kind of towards a bigger picture goal. But a revolution is saying, How can I produce small change in my life to produce a greater, more meaningful change in my future? And so that's really what this series has been about. And if you go back a couple of weeks ago, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to both of these podcasts. But we said that we believe that Jesus wants to bring not just a resolution to our life, but he wants to bring revolution to our life. He wants to change everything about the fabric of our lives and our families and our communities, but that if revolution is truly going to take place, revolution begins with you and me. Like Jesus wants to change us. We realize ultimately revolution begins with him. But that if I want to see the change, I have to be the change. If I wanna see change come to my family, I have to be able to be the change myself. If I wanna see change come to my community, I wanna be the change myself. And so we said in week one, we said, listen, if we wanna talk about revolution, it begins with personal revolution. It begins with me coming into 2017 and saying, Jesus, this year, more than any other year in my life, I wanna set aside my goals, my ambitions, and the things that drive me as an individual And I want to turn all of that over to you. God, I want to get out of the driver's seat of my life. And I want to be in everything that I'm doing in a way that makes you be the one who's in charge of my life. And if I bring that revolution to my life, we believe that God can change the individual. And if he changes the individual, then eventually he will change the family. And if he changes the family, then eventually he will impact the community. So we said last week. Man, that I want to be, we used Dabo Sweeney, head coach of Clemson, to say this is what his philosophy was, was to be all in with his team. And we said that's how we have to be as believers within our family, especially if you come from a family that they're not sure about Jesus and they don't go to church. Then the more all in we are in saying, listen, I want to honor Jesus in my life and in my relationships, then it starts to impact my family. And if Jesus comes and impacts our lives as individuals, then he comes and impacts our lives as families then of necessity, he starts to impact our community. If right now, not even including the people in the first service, but if right now just this service right here, if the group of people that was here right now said, we want to start to honor God as best we can in our lives, as best we can in our families, this group right here could impact our community in a significant way if we just say, God, I want you to to take charge of my life, I want you to take charge of my family, I'm surrendering all those decisions to you, we could start to impact this community in a major way. And I believe, earnestly believe, over the next 10 years, that if God started something right here in our midst of Ridgepoint Church, that this church could be impacting the world in 10 years. And that sounds lofty and that sounds like this wishful thinking, But if God gets hold of a group of people, he did it in the Bible. He got hold of a small group of committed believers and he changed the world. And it's the same God in the New Testament that we have today. And so if God truly got hold of our life and started to revolutionize us as individuals, we could literally, because of who Jesus is and the transforming nature of what he does, we could change not just our community, but we could literally change the world. That sounds lofty, but a while back, and I'm going to reference this whole uh, conversation at the end. But this message really uh, a lot of the, the word that we're gonna receive this morning was from a conversation that I was having with God uh, in in a meaningful car ride. I'll explain more at the end. But we're gonna start outlining here's some things that we want to accomplish. Now today we're wrapping up a series on personal vision and next week we begin a series called United where we're talking about the corporate vision we have as a church. And so this message today And next week's message are closely linked as we move in from personal vision uh, to the vision we have as a church. Notice we went from personal vision to family vision to community, and we didn't include the church. That's because the church comes next week when we begin a two-week series called United. But in doing so, I want to talk real quickly this morning about kind of our strategy for reaching our community. Because I love the fact, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but I love the fact that we as a church try to find unique and creative ways to affect our community here and literally across the world in fact i still have a chance to go back and i don't think there's anything wrong with this but i think it's okay i love bragging about our church and talking about some things that, that god is doing in the midst of of our church and I have a chance to go back and, and spend time now with my dad and hang out with some of his friends and, and some of his relatives. And, and one of the things whenever we're hanging out with, with, these, with these people my dad hangs out with, they're always asking questions about, hey, they love hearing stories about the church. They're always asking about Honduras and, and the homes working on in Honduras and, and some of the stuff that we do. And they love to hear those stories. And the thing is, like I love telling those stories. In fact, our strategy of reaching out in the community is let the community know that they matter to God. And because they matter to God, they matter to us. And so we do things like uh, building homes in Honduras to rescue people from the trash dump. We do things like if you were here Christmas Eve, Eve and, and we found a complete stranger in a community that really needed help, and we were able to give her a, a humongous tip and really kind of bless her as a family, or day of service projects, and, and all those things that we do, there's a strategy involved in that. And I want us to see this, because there's this quote from, there's a, there's a church father's name name's Francis of Assisi. And Francis said it this way, he said, the deeds you do may be the only sermon some persons will hear today. The deeds you do, in other words, the message we proclaim has to be matched by the deeds that we do, and if not, then the world who isn't right now ready to embrace Jesus looks at us and says, you don't even believe the things you say that you believe, you're not acting it out, so I'm not going to listen to you. So he said, the deeds you do may be the only sermon some persons will hear today. And I get that, and that's why our strategy is to invest in people and and invite them and and, and to to build up those relationships, I think, that's strategic. It's ultimately following the model that Jesus had where he met people's needs and then offered them their their, their truest and their greatest need, which was him. And so our strategy is is to do that. But I never want us to miss this, and this was so important, because when we first started talking through this series, the conversation we're going to have this morning uh, has, has changed significantly from that time. Because it's really easy to get pumped up and excited about those things, and I do, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But God started convicting me about something, because I heard this, and I might have even uh, wanted to use language like this. Uh, But if you hear Christmas Eve, Eve, that was like a powerful night, and and I heard a lot of people afterwards kind of leaving, saying, man, that was the most powerful thing I've ever seen in church. And, And it was really cool, I don't want to get away from that, trust me. However, here's the thing. All those things we've talked about are natural things that we do building homes, offering assistance in the community, helping out at schools, all those things, now they can take a supernatural thing because it's a God thing, but ultimately we're meeting natural needs. And so even providing for a lady who was not expecting it and and it was emotional, and listen, I understand the emotion of that moment. If you were here that night, I, I almost started crying up on stage as the whole thing was being presented, and then I went home afterwards, we were up in Pennsylvania with Beth's family, and we watched it with her family, and our our video team had put some music behind it, and even watching it all over again, I got chills watching it, it was a really cool thing, and yet I walked away and saying, that was powerful. But it's not the most powerful thing I've ever seen in church, in fact, not even close. Because all of those things are natural. But what God does on on a weekly basis is supernatural, where he takes our lives right now, And see, this is where a lot of people misunderstand what Christianity is about and what Jesus was all about. For a lot of people, they think, well, well, Jesus was about, and and if I become a follower of Jesus, he's about making bad people good. And we think, well, that's that's powerful, that's supernatural, but it's not. There are 12-step programs that can do that. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to literally make dead people come alive. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and he came to make those who are dead come to life in him. And so that's why for any one of us today who's called upon Jesus as our savior, the most powerful thing that we've ever seen in church is the very idea that Jesus took me who is stuck and dead in my sin and he made me alive in Christ. In fact, the book of Ephesians, it says this. Ephesians 2 and verse 5 says this. Even when we... We're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though I didn't deserve God's grace, he made me alive in Christ Jesus. And so as much as we can continue to talk about those things, and I want us to, the most powerful, most significant thing that we can do as followers of Jesus is to say, here's my story. Here's what Jesus did in my life. And it doesn't matter how bad your story was. I know we have people here who say, well, my story's significant because I used to live a really, really bad life. And Jesus transformed that, and that might very well be true. And others might say, well, my story isn't that extreme. I didn't really do a lot of bad stuff. But Jesus still delivered me. That's because Jesus isn't just in the story, isn't in the business of, of taking a bad story and making it good He's in the business of making those of us who are dead come to life in Christ. And so when we go and we start to embrace the mission saying we want to impact our community, it's not just about doing good things. That's our strategy is to do good things and to earn the right to be heard. But it's not just about doing good things. We can get excited about those things, but I'm much more excited about a person who says, I didn't have faith in Christ at all. I came in as a skeptic, and I wasn't sure about this. But Jesus has completely changed my life. I'm much more excited about the person who comes in and says, man, for 25 years of my life, I bowed on an addiction to alcohol and I couldn't be delivered of it. But because of Jesus today, I've been delivered from it. I'm much more impressed with a story that says, my wife and I were on the ropes. We didn't think our marriage was going to survive. But because of Jesus today, my marriage has survived. Jesus is in the business of taking things which are dead and making them alive, and that is the most significant thing that we're a part of as a church. If you have your Bibles, go open up to the book of Romans, chapter 10. On this car ride, I'm having this conversation with God where he starts to redirect really the focus of of what we're talking about, and I'll get to that at the end of the message. But in Romans chapter 10, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And as he's writing this lengthy, lengthy work, uh, right about in the midst of it, he gets into this really strong passage about the strength of the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the idea that Jesus would die for all of us who are stuck in our sins to give us freedom. And he has this longer section at the beginning of Romans chapter 10 that talks about the message of salvation going out to everybody. At the end of one of those paragraphs in the beginning of verse 10, it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Romans 10.10, we see this passage, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an awesome and powerful verse. That when we go out, anybody today who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus in their life, they're going to be saved. It's a promise of God to his people, to his children, to say, if you call upon Jesus, that you're going to be saved. But then with that begins a series of four rhetorical questions, beginning in the next verse, in verse 14, where it says this, how then will they call on him? who they've not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? A series of rhetorical questions that ultimately be ends those questions at the very beginning of how the process is answered. But we have these four rhetorical questions we'll get to in just a second. And it says this at the very end of that as it is written, as it stands written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's saying that if, if we have in, in our possession the good news of Jesus Christ, if we have the gospel, it isn't just about being a good person because, listen, I can go build homes for people, and it doesn't mean they're going to heaven. I can go uh, love on a community. It doesn't mean that because of us living on a community or us building homes or us giving away money, all that stuff isn't going to lead anybody to heaven in and of itself. But at the very end, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Of those that go, and sometimes in our, in our society, preaching has gotten a, a bad name. It's people that don't preach to me. Preach just simply means, I want to tell you some good news. And I don't know anybody that doesn't like good news. In fact, if someone came up to you today and said, I got some good news and some bad news, which one do you want to hear first? I want to get the bad news out of the way because I want to get to the good news. Like, let's get that bad stuff out of the way because I can't wait for some good news. But what if someone came to us today and said, I got some good news and I got some great news. Man, I much prefer that because I love hearing great news. Well, here are the Bible saying that when we come, we preach good news. That when we come, man, we're bringing hope to a world that is without hope. And so it's easy to get caught up in all the social justice causes and grumble and complain about things not being like we, like we want them to be. But instead, we go forth with the message that we've been sent with. And so I want to go back and, and tackle these four questions and look at them real quick and come up with some answers to them. It uh, begins in verse 14. It says, how will they then call on him in whom they've not believed? Number one, people will call on Jesus to save them if they believe he will do so. The only people that are ever going to call upon Jesus to save them is people that actually believe that he will do so. So if we're beginning a conversation with somebody and we say, listen, we want to love on you, we want to care about you, but the only way that person is ever going to come to actually have faith in Jesus for themselves, people will only call on Jesus to save them if they believe he will do so. So for the person today who's a skeptic, for the person today says, I don't, I don't choose to follow Jesus, or I don't want to call upon Jesus. The only way they're ever going to call upon Jesus is if they believe that he is going to be willing to save them. That he will actually do the saving himself. So to answer to the first question, where it says, how are they they on him whom they have not believed? The only way they're going to believe, or call on Jesus, is they actually choose to believe in him. The second question that says, and how are they to believe in him of, of whom they've never heard number two believing in jesus requires that we actually know about him how are they going to believe if they've never heard well that's true so in order for the skeptic for the unbeliever to say i'm going to choose to believe in jesus they have to first know about him we want them to get to belief, but before that even more base is the idea well we have to know about him and eventually we get to the other questions well how am i going to know about him we're going to answer those but there's a logical sequence of events that actually begins with the last question and works its way up. Because question number three says this, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? People know, number three, people know only because someone informs them. How are they going to know unless someone preaches? Well, they wouldn't. So number three, people know only because someone informs them. And then number four, the final question is, and how are they to preach? How are they, the informers, to preach unless, unless they are sent? The informants only go because they are sent. So if we work our way down from the bottom to the very top, because he begins with these, these basic questions, he gets down through the problem. The informants go, that's, that's you and me. The informants go simply because we've been sent. And the thing is, is that when we look at that, and say, well, that must be people who really know what they're talking about. That must be people, like, like they're going with this message of Jesus. They must be adequately equipped. When Jesus commissions the disciples to go, and there's a lot of commissions in the Bible where he's commissioning the disciples to go, they weren't necessarily very learned people. They didn't know a whole lot of information. They didn't know a whole lot of the Bible. In fact, for many of them, they were told at a young age, you're not good enough. Go back and learn your father's trade. And so you became fishermen and tax collectors and and not people we think of as overly religious. But Jesus comes as this great rabbi and he pulls these normal people together. And he says, listen, I'm going to come in. I'm going to radically revolutionize your life. And when I revolutionize your life, I'm not going to send you out with that message. And they didn't necessarily at the beginning know a whole lot of the Bible. They just knew here was my life before and here's my life now. And I know Jesus has radically transformed me. And if he's transformed me, then he can transform you. And that was their message. And they went sharing that message. And we read in the book of Acts, immediately before the book of Romans, read in the book of Acts, the story of the early disciples going and doing that very thing. And all they had was the power of God in their life and how he transformed them. And literally thousands of people are being won to Christ because of their story and the power of God. So we look at that and say, well, number four, that doesn't sound like me, but I'm telling you it is. The informants this morning go because they've been sent. And once they go, people know only because those informers come. And belief in Jesus requires that they have some knowledge from the informers who tell them about him. And finally, faith in Jesus comes because they choose to believe that message. The very message that you and I today Possess. We have the message that is liberating. We have the message that is that is freeing to the, to our world. How do we impact our community? We do so by saying, I don't I don't just want to do my thing anymore. I don't want you to be out about transforming my life so that I can change my family. And I want to transform my family because I believe as a family we can make a significant impact on our community. And next, we can we'll talk about how, as a church family, we make a significant impact on our community. Uh, do this with me. Let's flip over to one book of the Bible, First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 2. We're talking about this idea because it said in, in, in Romans that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. Uh, that does not mean that if we start to become as informants, we start to go and tell the world that magically our feet become beautiful. Some of us have ugly feet. That's not going to happen. But the, but the idea there is that our feet are the very things being used to propel us with a message. And because of that, the very things that are being used to propel us is what makes us beautiful. So it makes our lives of significance. And so Paul writes and says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. And Paul knew what that was like. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's writing to another church, church in Corinth. And he's writing about his experience, about his story. And he writes about when he first came, and to, he, he came to bring the good news of Jesus. And he said this, and if you know anything about Paul, Paul's one of the greatest missionaries the world's ever seen. He used to be against Christ, in fact he was part of the, the killing of Christians, and eventually God transforms him and revolutionizes his life. And he becomes a believer in Jesus, and he starts to go and tell the world about Jesus. And he goes from city to city, proclaiming Jesus. And, and he says this about coming to Corinth, he says, and when I came to you, brothers, in 1 Corinthians 2 1, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus so says, I didn't come with lofty speech, I didn't come as, as a well known, eloquent orator. That that people, as soon as I spoke, everyone gravitated towards me. He said, I didn't come with lofty speech. I didn't come. Like, I didn't didn't come. People weren't impressed with my words and my diction. That wasn't what impressed people. In fact, he says this. And I was with you in verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. How many of you have ever sat down to have a frank conversation with someone, maybe even a spiritual conversation? And you sit down and have the conversation, and, and as soon as you start to, you know, God's kind of prompting your heart and saying, You, you got to talk to this person and provide words of truth and comfort and all that. And you start to speak, and your words start to fail you. Like you're like, I, I try to say the right thing, but it's not coming out, and I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. Has anybody ever felt that way before? Yeah. We're not alone. And Paul says, when I came to you, I was, I was afraid. One of the greatest missionaries the world's ever seen. He comes and says, I came and my speech, my message were not plausible words of wisdom. Like, there was fearness, there was weakness. Like, I knew that it, it, I, I didn't have the strength to do this. When I first started off in, in, in youth ministry, I remember uh, just sitting down for some conversations, especially with students. And I was a young youth pastor and uh, sitting down with some of those conversations, I remember going in saying, God, I, I know some of the family situations that's happening here. I know how volatile it is. And I know they're coming to me as if I have some sort of wisdom and I don't. Like, I don't know what, what words. There, there's some situations, there's some family situations that if you go and try to minister to them, there's nothing you can say or do to help them out. Like, they're going through some times of grief and sorrow and, and your words are going are gonna to fail you. And I can remember going into some of those conversations, like, like having the fear that Paul had. Having that, like, God, what am I going to say in this situation? And yet praying before beforehand, saying, God, right now I ask that these not be my words, but they be your words, and taking confidence in that, that sometimes God gives us a wisdom beyond our years. And so Paul says, when I first came to you, I didn't come with eloquent speech. In fact, my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, a spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I didn't want your faith to rest in me. See, if I had to come and I was a better orator, if I I could speak with more distinguished words, then maybe people come and listen and say, wow, that guy is powerful and he's strong, and we gravitate towards him because his ministry is influential. And Paul says, I didn't come with any of that stuff. In fact, I came trembling and I was nervous and, and I didn't have much power. In and of myself. But my power came in in, in the one who sent me. The thing is, that's true for every one of us. If we're gonna revolutionize our community right now, if that's actually gonna take place, we have to begin with this person God, I wanna see people through the lens with which you see people. God, I wanna have not my power on display, but I wanna have your power on display. And as soon as we start to do that, it changes things. Drive through the community right now. And just as you drive and you see people maybe driving in front of your car or, or walking by your, your, your vehicle, you see them and just start to pray, God, give me your eyes about that person's life. And it will change them. Because you and I, we tend to be particular about things. If things don't go our way, we get frustrated rather easy. How I many of y'all would admit you get frustrated pretty easy at times? Someone cuts you off in traffic, who gets frustrated a lot quicker? <laughs> Some wives are pointing their husbands right now, I'm just saying. But here's the thing, because we all do that. A couple of, a couple of months ago, I had a chance, I, I have this incredible aunt, one of my favorite aunts. She's awesome, she, she just, she's in her 80s, but she's full of spunk and, and just full of life. And, and so I got a chance, we're going to go over and visit my dad. She's a snowbird, she lives in Lakeland during her winter months. And so I said, I'm going to go pick up Aunt Colette, and we're going to head over to... Uh, to, to St. Pete and visit my dad, and, and we're driving back. Now, my aunt's from New York, and I thought they had crazy drivers in New York. Uh, but we're driving back, and, and I was driving. My aunt, feisty, full of life, we're driving, and, and this guy, I-4, is getting backed up, and traffic's flowing, but at a really low rate of speed, probably 25 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour. And I see this guy in this big pickup truck, because uh, we're Polk County, and, and, he, and he chooses, the traffic's going slow, and the person in front of him, he's not satisfied. They're not picking up speed a little bit. But there's no place else to go. So he just decides to use the shoulder and the grass as his own personal lane. And so he just kind of shifts over. And we're like, that's not a big deal. I see that every week on I-4. I get that. So this guy just jumps over in the shoulder, speeds up, passes a couple cars, and jumps back in. And my feisty aunt is just incredulous with that. She can't believe that he just did that. And she's like, she's like I, did, did you see that? I mean, she was ready. She's like... And she said, J.J., you're so glad you're driving right now, because I'd have sped up and given him peace of my mind and all that stuff. And we laugh, but that's how a lot of us are. We see a person come. We're stuck at a traffic light. Someone knocks on our window and says, hey, can I have a couple of dollars? And we see things through our lens. And we get frustrated a little bit simpler. We see a family member do something that we don't necessarily agree with, and we see it through our eyes. We're going to transform our community. We see things through God's eyes. To realize that everybody we come in contact with is redeemable. And their story has power. So we don't know what they're going through right now. And even if we did, it wouldn't really matter that much. So we tend to view God through, uh, we tend to view people through our eyes. And we're frustrated real easily and, and we make a lot of mistakes. And instead we view them through the eyes of a loving father. I didn't think about this until just a little while ago, but we were upstairs, and uh, in between services, we have a meeting kind of digesting everything we did, and, and we got done, and I heard my wife coming upstairs looking for me, and, and my little two-year-old son was, was with her. And he came running up, and every time he sees me, especially in the morning when I leave early in the morning, so he didn't get a chance to see me this morning, and so he comes running up, and he's just all excited. He's like, Daddy, and he runs up, and he gives me a hug. And at that point, that's, that's all that mattered, and that's how God views every one of us, Redeemable as redeemable, as if we matter. But what happens is because we all have viewpoints and ideas and, and we get frustrated, and if things don't go our way, we get really frustrated. And we see that right now as a nation. People that are really fed up and said, I didn't get my way, and so I'm going to choose to be frustrated. And it's true of both sides. And we get frustrated with each other instead of viewing each other through the lens of Scripture and the lens of the way God views us as every single person matters. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, I didn't come to persuade you through powerful speech because I don't want your faith to rest in the wisdom of men but the power of God. And then we skip over to the next chapter. And he said there's some some leaders in the church. Paul's one of them. Another guy is Apollos. And some are picking sides saying, well, I'm part of Paul's ministry. And others are saying, I'm part of Apollos' ministry. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are these people? They don't even matter. Servants through whom you've believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted a polished water, but, watch this, but God gave the growth. He says, for every one of us, we play a part. We're all servants. We all have a part in this. And our parts are going to change, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's God who gives the growth. And so I sit here and say, God, I want to be your servant this week. And I want to look for opportunities to plant, to plant seed. I want to look for opportunities to water that seed. God, whatever my role is. And listen, when we go out and do outreach in the community and love in our community, we're planting seeds. We don't know if that seed's ever going to sprout or not, but we said this is one of the ways that we're throwing seed out there. And sometimes it blossoms, sometimes it doesn't. We go and say, sometimes we go and we plant. Sometimes God gives us the ability to water. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's God who gives the growth to that seed. And so we go and fulfill our part Whatever that part looks like. And the part might be different for what you do and the part might be different for what I do. The part might be very different from what you do today and what you do tomorrow. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we play our part. And then we pray for God to give it growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. God's the one who is everything. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Then it says this in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. That's who we are. And I know it's not always easy in in our culture, in our day and age, to to go, you know, we we use the word preach a lot, and sometimes the word uh, preach in our culture has a negative connotation. It's not supposed to. We preach, we come with good news. I know we live in a politically sensitive culture where we have to be careful about how and when we do that. But if we have good news, man, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to share that good news, to proclaim that good news. So back right after Christmas, in fact, the day after Christmas, we always do a, A trip with, our family goes up north and and we head up to Pennsylvania and Beth's family's up in Pennsylvania. and We all kind of all meet up there with her family after Christmas to celebrate Christmas together. And so the day after Christmas, December 26th, we were leaving as a family because it's about a 16 or 17 hour drive. So we loaded up our van and we just started to drive at 3 a.m. And so we load up and everybody gets in the car and everyone gets comfortable. And it doesn't take too long. I barely get to I-4 and I turn around and the rest of my family's out. Like, they're just asleep, and I'm like, all right, that's fine. So I didn't put the radio on because I didn't want to wake anybody up. And so I just said, I'm just going to have some quality time with God. And you see, sometimes we think about prayer, and we think, well, prayer is everyone bow your heads and close your eyes, because that's what we've been coached on since we were very, very young. The Bible doesn't say that we have to do that. Uh, we do that to help us focus. It might be pertinent at times. But the truth is, and the Bible talks about that uh, we're supposed to pray without ceasing, it means that there is just an open conversation. And so some of my best times of having a conversation with God is just as I'm driving. And I knew I got a couple of hours of uninterrupted time. And so I just started talking to God, not out loud, but just having this conversation in my mind. And it began just right at the end of the year, and it was a very challenging year for a lot of reasons. Family and, and all the stuff that was happening there. And so just went through a, a time of reflection and, and appreciation, thanking God for the past year and our family and looking forward to the new year. And, and then eventually came around to, to church and and we're just on the heels of, of Christmas Eve and all the stuff that took place. And, and I was just thinking during this season of, of that prayer, just just words of appreciation. Thanking God for our church. Uh, thanking God for making truly lifelong friends and, and, and what that community has meant to, to me and to us as a family and, and all of that stuff. And thanking Him for some of the experiences of the past year and some of the things we've been able to be a part of. And then pretty soon the, the prayer changed. The focus of the prayer changed from, from appreciation to, okay, God, what's what's next for us? God, guide and direct us and, and give us a, a focus on, on what the future holds. And so I was praying, and, 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 and it was, I didn't hear an audible voice from God or anything like that. But as I'm praying through God, what's next? I kept hearing this, this idea. And, and it was this idea of pray for a thousand unchurched people. And I thought, well, God, we set some goals last year we haven't yet like what are you talking about a thousand people but he said no I'm not saying pray for them to come to Richmond I'm saying you're supposed to pray for them like just pray for a thousand people that don't go to church that they come to find out who Jesus is we're supposed to do that as a church and so I wrestled through what that looked like and, and how we'd we, we kind of rolled that out knowing what the series were that was coming uh, so on the way in you should have gotten one of these cards did everyone did anybody not get one of these cards if you didn't get one raise your hand Kevin will make sure you get one Everybody got one awesome. Um, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, is just join us in praying for 1,000 people this year, That 1,000 people that don't go to church. I'm not talking about 1,000 people that go to church elsewhere, that they come here. That's not what we want. We want to reach people that don't go to church. Uh, so here's what I'm asking to you to do, is just to join us in, in praying for some people this year. Uh, so on the card, I'm asking for two things. First of all, your name, and then their names. And if it's a family of a few people, I'd write down one person in the, in the family, and then list how many people there so we can know, okay, here's where we're at in terms of praying for 1,000 people. And I'm, we're not going to share this with anybody else. This is between me and you. But I'm going to ask you in joining me in praying for those people this year. And we're going to do that as a staff. Outside of staff, nobody else will get this. But I want to pray for people, and I want to do this. By the end of this year, I want to reflect back. And, and two things I'm asking about this is, is number one, is that we continue to do this. If we do this the first week of this mission that we're doing and forget about it, the Bible talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Effectual fervent means keep on doing that very same thing. If we keep doing it, I wanna see by the end of the year how God has transformed us and our community because of that. So number one is join me in praying for them for the rest of this year. By the end of the year, look back and see what God did with those names. And number two, because I know the nature of us uh, when we focus on something at church, it's right there in front of us. We're like, all right, I'm going to do that. And then we go home and we forget about it. And we come back next week and say, I meant to do that or I meant to bring the card. So I'm asking you to do some things, close out the service. We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. Chris is going to come up to wrap up. During that time, right now, so you don't forget, write down some of those names right now. If you need cards to go home and think about it later, that's fine. We get you more cards. We have plenty. Uh, but we're going to have some of these cards right now so that people don't forget. And we said we meant to do it. And we never got around to it. So fill out the card this morning, give us some names of some people that you're going to be praying for this year, and we want to partner with you in praying for them this year that they come to faith in Christ, or maybe if they're separated from church, they'll get plugged back into church. Let's pray together.